welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to episode 28. Today, I'm joined by an incredible woman, Yvonne John. She's the author of the book, Dreaming of a Life Unlived, Intimate Stories and Portraits of Women Without Children. She's also the creator of the blog, Finding My Plan B. Yvonne is a public speaker who has appeared in numerous radio and TV programs, including BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour, where she works on creating an inclusive space for Black women and women of color to openly talk about their childless journey. She's a licensed Gateway Women workshop facilitator and a World Childless Week champion. Yvonne works for the NHS and is also an accomplished photographer. To connect with her, you can reach her through her blog or via Instagram at y.vonj. The details would also be in the show notes. So welcome Yvonne and thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Ola. It's so great to be here. So thank you for reaching out and inviting me on the show. Yay, thank you. So to start off, we always say, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am 49. I'm going to be 50 next month. I really wow. can't this You look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's a shock. I do look in the mirror and think, what are they talking about? Someone's lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> Although my parents have lied to other people because they don't want to seem as old as they are, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm of Caribbean heritage. First, also my parents are from the um, beautiful islands of Trinidad and Dominica. I am first generation British, born um, to three children. Oh, I think that sounds right. <laughs> I have two, two brothers. I'm middle child, so you know there's uh, there's things around being the middle child there, mm-hmm. which I won't go into. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, I'm in the NHS. I'm a biomedical scientist by background, and I work as a service manager. Yeah, I'm a photographer, author of *Dreaming of a Life Unlived*. I'm a public speaker and activist, and I speak about infertility. And I'm the voice for. Black women, Asian women, and childless women of colour. I also love sports, um, and I, I'm a very, very keen swimmer and cyclist. Wow. We're talented. So many things going. Oh, I'm just scratching the surface there. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I like to keep an air of mystery, so I won't get yeah. too much away. <laughs> well, well done. Thank you so much for sharing that all that with us and um, we're really lucky to have you on here today. So um, as we're here talking about fertility and infertility, we wanted to see if you could tell us a little bit about your fertility journey. So for me, it's funny, whenever I get asked this, I never know exactly where to start because I think there's quite a few different layers to my fertility journey. But I think I always start at age 40 because that was, I suppose, the time when I realized I was essentially on a fertility journey. So I got married at 39 and at 40, I remember thinking that I really wanted to 
try for a baby because I didn't want to hit menopause without having to have tried. So prior to that, when I'd met my husband, we had conversations about having children and I met him when I was 38. And we were both, given our age, thought, well, our time for having children is probably over. It probably is too late. And we weren't really that bothered about it because we thought, you know, in a way we thought we'd made peace with the dis that decision that's the time we are in our lives and therefore it's probably just going to be the two of us so we weren't really gonna we weren't really considering having children in our marriage at 40 because I had a wonderful first year of marriage I really wanted to explore this option right. and so I spoke to my husband about it and you know said I really did want to try and therefore we did. And I tried for three years naturally, nothing happened, which was a bit of a shock. I think I realized looking back on it is that people think, you know, you hear, you hear growing up, don't have sex because you'll get pregnant. So you mm -hmm. spend a whole chunk of time trying to stop yourself from getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, and therefore, when you do, you are in the situation, you know, for example, being married, and you want to have children you think oh yeah i'll just have sex and it will happen yeah no one tells you that this is not gonna this may not be a possibility or this may be hard so as i said i you know after three years of trying i really was shocked that nothing had happened um i got referred to a fertility consultant and that was a journey within itself had a year of tests uh, my husband had tests and then in October 2014, I got diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which was a shock because I really had never heard that term before. Didn't know what it meant other than them saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with you in terms of the tests. There's nothing wrong with your husband. So you should just keep trying. But I did get told that if I tried IVF, because of my age, and I would have been 43 going on 44 at the time, that I'd only have a 4% chance of conceiving. So, but you know, just keep trying. And I remember sitting there and thinking, this is never gonna happen. My heart sank. And I remember leaving the office and going home and then just falling on my bed crying. Um, and, and then, pretty much was spiraled into this crazy world of grief, which I didn't understand to be grief at the time, but I was just instantly sad about it. And given that I was quite ambivalent about being a mum, especially in my twenties and thirties, that it shocked me that all of a sudden it really mattered and it really hurt to hear this news. And so, when you, when you, um, at what points, like after the diagnosis and you trying and you're not being able to, um, you know, conceive after a few years, at what point did they decide that, okay, I'm gonna move ahead without children? So I don't know if I'd really say that I decided to move ahead without children. Um, I think, because I was so sad and that's all I could say at the time or, or that was the realization at the time yeah. I didn't understand why I remember not being able to be around 
my friends with their young children. I'd be on a train and watch families. And I'd, I'd think, I can't sit here and watch this. It was awful, you know, supermarkets, yeah. wherever I went, if I saw a pregnant woman or heard the word I'm pregnant, or, you know, saw young families, I was just in bits. I was, you know, I, I, I was broken. And I didn't understand why. I know I blamed myself. One of the one of the first emotions I had was blame, self blame, because um, in my twenties I had two terminations, which again led me to kind of think, why can't I get pregnant with my husband when he's the man I love? And before I wasn't in a loving relationship. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking that it's got to be my fault why I'm here. So. When I spoke to an older friend of mine who had gone through her own grief of childlessness, she instantly knew what I was going through and said, you are grieving. Um, so I kind of thought, what are you talking about? And also felt, well, I don't deserve to grieve because of my past. And she convinced me to speak to Jodie Day, who's the founder of Gateway Women. And Gateway Women is a support group for women who are childless not by choice mm -hmm. so I remember in December 2014 I did my first workshop which was living without children and I remember sitting amongst those women there probably was about 14 of us in the room and hearing each woman tell their stories about why they were there and, and you know why they were grieving childlessness I felt like I didn't deserve to be there I remember thinking if they knew about my terminations if they knew my story they wouldn't allow me to be here they would say I didn't deserve to be in that room and I didn't deserve to be a mum so in itself it was really hard to sit in that room and, and even tell my story but also yeah. I knew I needed to tell my story because the reason part of the reason why I was grieving was because I was so angry with myself and I felt so much shame so I told my story and then other people told their stories and there were similar stories. There were stories, other stories that had terminations as part of, of their journey. Oh, wow. And I really felt safe and accepted. Yeah. And then I realized I really wanted to understand this grief and I really needed to work through it. Um, and that's how I described it at the time. I now would describe it as work with it because grief never leaves us, you know, yeah. when it's childlessness, it's mm -hmm. always there. So when I, so once I kind of realized or decided what I wanted to do in terms of my grief, I joined the Gateway Women Plan B Mentorship Program, which is a year long program. And it gave me the place to grieve and understand my grief and work with my grief. Um, I was able to write a letter to my younger self, forgiving her for the decisions, not mistakes, the decisions that she had made in the past, because there was reasons why I made those decisions. And part of that is because I loved my unborn children and I wanted them to be born under the right circumstances in, in a loving relationship. Right. Um, so I think when I worked through all of that, I was then able to make a decision that best suited me. And that was because I probably was about 46, I think 45, 46, when I was coming out of the Plan B Mentorship Program. So I was then in a place where I could accept myself, accept my decision, accept all sorts of stuff around my past. 
but then also accept that IVF wasn't for me. I didn't want to go down that journey because it's a very emotional journey. People think yes. this is an easy fix. And the amount of times I've heard, why don't you just try IVF? <sighs> or if you really wanted to be a mother, you'd have IVF. Um, or, you know, it, it, there's this um, perception that we're going to go to the nth degree, whatever that means, because it means different things to different people, but you're going to exactly. go through everything you can to try and have a baby. When actually some people, I couldn't, I couldn't, I was exhausted. I was emotional. I had enough going through three years of trying naturally, a year of investigations and a year, year and a half of go, working through with my grief. I got yeah. to this place where I need to stop and heal now. I need to be with me. So taking myself on another emotional journey that is just keeping you in denial because who knows how IVF is going to end. And mm. there is a 75% failure rate. And, I, you know, I have met women who've had 11 rounds, for example, of unsuccessful IVF. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to work. The miracle baby stories are there because they are miracle baby stories. Yeah. Yeah, you know they're not everyday stories so I kind of realized especially as hearing other people's stories I, I made the decision I didn't want to go down that route it's also expensive four to five k per round you usually take about three rounds you know again and also there's other expenses around that I've known people to spend 20, up to 20 grand around for IVF so again financially it wasn't a burden I wanted to place on myself um, yeah. I just didn't I I that was my, my decision. That was me. It was something I just felt I couldn't do. And also my marriage was fragile at this point. So putting a financial burden on it, the, another emotional strain. Yeah. And also looking at adoption or thinking about adoption in terms of bringing a broken. And again, I'm saying that word with a lot of kindness and compassion, but there's reasons why their children are in the, in the system. Yeah. So you're bringing someone with a lot of their own brokenness and a lot of their own healing needs into a relationship that is already broken. I didn't have the capacity to go down those routes. So, as I said, I just needed to heal. And then of my age, I was then in an age where I thought it wasn't for me. And actually, I, I do enjoy my life. So, it's you know, it wasn't them or, you know, having a baby or having this life. It was just about... I just wanted to be with me and then therefore accepted my situation, my position and made a choice to enjoy me and find that fulfilling life without children. You know, there are many ways to be a mum and that's something people told yeah. me and a good friend of mine said to me, which really helped me to realise it isn't actually just about having your own child because we have nurturing spirits. We don't have to be mums to be nurturers. Mm -hmm. So there are other ways as well that I could nurture and, and in a way be a mum, you know, in this world. Well said. And when you actually, Sammy, you said a whole lot of things there that, that, you know, touching on a whole lot of topics and areas that we do need to be talking about more. Uh, but just where you end in the fact that, you know, you made a decision not to proceed with the IVF treatment because of all the potential issues that surround it and of course uh, adoption as well. Do you find that family and friends are supportive of that decision? Because again, like you noted, people always believe that you should do everything in your power. You're always here, don't give up, never give up. If you just keep going, it's going to happen. And, you know, this constant 
there's just constant statements around you. So I wonder if family and friends were supportive of your decision to, um, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> 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 what I realized, is, I mean, you know, part of me wants to say yes and part of me wants to say no because I experienced both really I think the thing is with family and friends is and the close family and friends because you know there's I can there's an extension of friends that fell into a different arena in terms of that description of support right but what I what I realized is with people who are close to you people who love you don't want to see you be hurt so when you when you are brave enough to tell them that you're in this situation and um, so you've got the the whole notion of people realize you don't have children because people know but people don't necessarily readily ask or talk to you about it there's a lot of assumptions yeah so therefore when we are able to say no i don't have children all right you know and i'm really sad i'm finding it hard you know i'm grieving whatever words people use around it no one allows us to be sad you know they want to take it away so they want to fix yeah because they don't want to see us hurt and I you know I've come to realize it's actually about their own feelings around it and, and they don't want to touch get in touch with the pain for themselves but what they're doing is in a way dismissing our experiences so they don't allow us to grieve so you get the things like no you shouldn't feel like that that you've got a good job have you tried this treatment I read about I mean I used to get texts about the I heard about someone who had antibodies to their fetus and they did the tests and have you thought about this? I got messages like, you should just take a year off work and relax. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you going to tell me then a year later when it didn't work? Exactly. <laughs> what happens when the bills are not paid and I lose my home because I don't have an income? I'm like, come on! Was, you know, yeah. One of my favourites was, don't give up home. Look at Janet Jackson. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's a whole different case Every, entirely. Everybody wow. had a story or a something. No, you know, they everyone had a something and it got really hard to want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. you know so you could say yes they were supportive in terms of they're there for me yeah but it wasn't it didn't feel like support because they were just trying to fix me you know I just needed a hug I needed someone to ask me if I'm okay or are you in a support group are you talking yeah. about it are you getting help direct you know even if people decide to have IVF or go down the adoption route because I've met I've heard many stories on my journey that even if people did just decide to take that route, they still want to be validated for where they are now. You know, yeah. I don't want to hear you'll be okay. I want to hear, I'm really sorry that you're here now. Is there right. anything from me now? What can I do for you? You know, so it was difficult because then you're managing other people's yeah. Uh, experiences and emotions around it because like, I'm having hard exactly I need the help round why do I have to make it okay for you too I even had you know people say to me oh you're so lucky you've got your husband you, you can 
work through this together. And we weren't, we didn't. It was like, again, another assumption. No one was actually just stopping and asking questions. They were giving this advice and assuming this, that, and the other about me. And again, that was another painful thing because as I was going through this, my marriage was falling apart as well. So I was just trying to hold myself together. And mm. as I said, make it okay for everyone else too. It, it was such a difficult time, you know, and I don't say this to criticize anybody because I know where that was coming from. Yeah. But I also saw the lack of care and understanding around it. Um, as well I mean one of my the hardest ones I did hear was or maybe it's God's will or God knows what he's mm-hmm. doing yeah he's praying I mean that would I'll pray for you no matter what I said I and I still get this advice you know seven whatever years on I will still hear this but I remember when I first started hearing it especially things like God knows what he's doing God knows best that saddened me even more and actually I was very angry because what I was hearing was God felt you didn't deserve to be a mum. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I'm saying that as well. I think it's important for people to hear this because no one knows how we are feeling unless they ask us. No one knows where we are in our minds when we're in this situation. And certain words can be really hurtful, as well-intended as they are, can feel really hurtful because we're going to interpret what's being said. It's going to mean something different for me hearing it to you giving it to me and so as I said for me hearing it I really felt like I didn't deserve to be a mum and I was being punished and that really added to my grief and it took a long time and a lot of work to in a way heal from that feeling and that thought and and changing my mindset so that I was okay with my situation. And it's so important, like, you know, that, that people need to understand that they don't need to fix it, which is what they always want to do, right? Everyone wants yeah. to fix it and they just, just don't re- yeah. We just need to sit with it. Yeah. You know, we ju- no one, I, I haven't come across anyone yet who said they lost their partner, you know, their partner died, died or their child died and, and, and the other person saying, oh, don't worry, you can get another one. I know, right? Like... <laughs> Can you imagine how crazy that will sound? Like, seriously? I know. <laughs> yeah. But yet they tell they tell people dealing with depression that all the time. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. There certainly needs to be more awareness and yeah. you know, yeah. understanding I, I, of what needs to be said and yeah, how to support. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I actually really love uh, when you spoke about the uh, Gateway Women's um, uh, support and how, how much support you were able to get. And, you know, the, the fact that you, of course, like you said, initially, you didn't think that you deserved to be there, right, considering other people. But it was amazing that when you actually spoke and shared your own experience, then you, you realized that there were other people similar um, that had similar experiences and you still, you know, felt supported, which is so important. Yeah. Um, how much hell that must have been for you in that time when you it were was, yeah it was it was huge for me I think if you know remembering back how one I felt I mean I did feel really crap about myself and as I said it was you know the blame the self-hatred but also then you're in this place 
where you know I I know I felt hard done by in a way jealous and I, yeah. I don't do jealousy I'm not a person who does jealousy but I realized how envious in a way I was of other people how easily how did they get it and not me why did they deserve yeah. it more than I did and you start to kind of judge other people's situations even hearing my friends complain about their children because they're having a bad day which is fine naturally <laughs> exactly. actually don't have a problem with that we're, we're talking about a relationship with people yeah and the little uh, big people and little people of course you're going to have hard days of course you're going to moan we moan about our partners we moan about all sorts of stuff because of whatever we're experiencing it's actually natural but when you're in that grief and you're on the phone to your friend and they're moaning about their child you just want to go really <laughs> i know like <laughs> you want to shout you want to scream I remember my friend telling me how she struggled to conceive her second child they tried for seven months and I was like are you serious I was able to talk to her about it afterwards but at the time I was so angry to hear this like what are you gonna make seven months exactly like I'll take seven months right now (laughs) my inner voice was going crazy But when you're there and you're experiencing these thoughts and feelings, you feel horrible about yourself. You know, it's one thing, you know, you feel, and also then you feel like if you're going to tell people, and I'm sure people have experienced this, if you do share what you're thinking, people are going to think you're horrible. Exactly, yeah. Like, you're wrong. Yeah. So you're, A, you're isolated from the experience because there's not many people who are actually openly, openly telling people, A, they're trying for a baby. Yeah. and then it's not happening so it does I don't think people realize when we're able to say we're grieving the loss of motherhood how much we've already gone through before we can actually say it it's not new yeah. it's not fresh it didn't happen today probably happened months maybe years before we could actually start talking about it and then you're now in this place where you feel bad about how you feel about yourself <laughs> and people are keeping you feeling your best you're isolated you you feel so alone and then you're reaching out for help and then people are putting you back in that box. Yeah. So when I found Gateway Women and I was in that group, I said I had a lot of my own stuff, my own my own negativity around me. Yeah. That to be in this room and be allowed to be yourself, to be authentic, to, to share your truth, to share your experiences actually normalized it all because guarantee you whatever anyone's going through it's actually normal and okay whatever one else is thinking whatever they're thinking around that horrible situation they've experienced it's actually normal to think that and to be in a room where people were, were allowing the normality and still accepting me and loving me for it yeah. it saved my I mean I always say this it saved my sanity because it allowed me to start healing because until I could be honest yeah I actually couldn't own my story I couldn't even look at my story so how I've described it before is like you know things are in your head when it's in your head and your inner voice it goes rife with it because we'll always air towards the negativity we always focus on the negative Mm -hmm. so you're so horrible for thinking that you're a bad person you're evil you're whatever you know whatever your inner voice would tell you create it creates a narrative around the experience so when it's in your head and that's happening you do not feel good about yourself but when I found that once I could talk about it 
and let it out and have it received with love and then the love given back to me I could see that story in a different way and then when I could do that I could process it because then I could go what was it about that part that upset me or I didn't like or whatever it is why did I make that decision once I could process that I came to a different love for myself because again the forgiveness was part of that but once I could then love myself with all of that horrible crap then I could start to own my story and then when I could own that story I felt empowered to tell it to who I wanted and how I wanted which made a difference to it in a way being dragged out of me or me feeling like if they really knew about me they they wouldn't like me yeah oh that's so powerful and so helpful for for um you know for, for you and what you were going through at that time to find such support and being, you know, just know that you're safe and you can be yourself without being judged. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. is, And I've watched other women on the same journey. It's powerful. It really is powerful. And so if there's um, anyone else out there listening and just wanting to have a better understanding of what gateway women uh, support with what they do, uh, and wondering if it's a place for them. Can you give us a little bit? I mean, you've noted a lot in terms of like you found support and able to get with other women who are shared uh, similar experiences. But there's someone out there listening, uh, maybe living in the UK, and I'm wondering if that's a good support group for them. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about the people that can be helped through the support group? So, as mentioned, so it can be found by gatewaywomen.com. Right. And as mentioned, it's it's a community, it's a support group, a support network for women who are childless, not by choice. And not by choice, there are so many circumstances around why women are childless. Right. It is an international online okay. community. Yeah, so anyone from all over the world can reach out. Um, there are, so basically, people who know or in that position that they're not going to have children so right. it's it's not essentially for women who are still hopeful in terms of they might be in their 30s and haven't met the partner yet mm-hmm. or they're with someone and still trying but it's taken a long time it's it is more for people who know they're not going to have children so again it's not a, it's not about age and I, I just use the 30s in terms of right that's the time that that is a, a, a time when people are meeting new partners and really trying and things like that but there are also women in their 30s who've gone through early menopause for example or are with an older man or maybe someone at the same age who has children who doesn't want any more children so that's also then a reason why their child is not by choice and they're choosing to stay with them and that's fine you know people do do that but there's still a grief around that choice yes Um, still a grief around being a stepmom for example because that's not my child and the, the complications or the layers that are around that. So, you know, as I said, there are a number of reasons um, and why women who are childless not by choice will want to come to the community. You can look at, as I said, gatewaywomen.com, people can go and look at themselves and they can see actually who it's for and, and know when they're reading through it, if, if it's for them. Some women are not quite ready yet as well. So there is those kind of things. But once you're on the community, it's a forum where people can post, 
whatever they're going through, being new, being unsure, being afraid, you know, going through something. Oh, this happened at work today. You know, especially the baby announcements, the pregnancy yeah. announcements at work, and then their baby. You know, I I still struggle with these stuff. The baby announcements, the bringing the baby in. You know, oh, it can be really hard. So, it, it as I said, it's there to support women for whatever they're going through around their childless journey. They also we also have. Um, workshops so I'm a co-facilitator for the gateway women reignite women work reignite weekend workshops mm. and it's a two-day workshop where we are taking women through their journey of grief and and usually it's women who are at the beginning of their journey of grief but you do get people women who are at different stages of their grief again it depends when people feel ready and able to do the workshop but it's a beautiful experience you know it's hard but it is, a, it is such an enriching, healing experience. On the Saturday, we are looking at the past and the present. So we really look at why, what's brought them there, their stories. Yeah. Um, I think it's given people an opportunity to tell and own their stories, looking at what they feel around being childless, what other people give us, because they give us these wonderful gifts, name calling. Yeah. <laughs> the evil stepmom the mm -hmm. yeah we get, some, we get some wonderful name callings there <laughs> no but it gets us a, it gives the women a chance to look and explore all this what it means for us what society is you know patriarchal societies doing to us and hence why we are so sad around grief i mean one of the things i kind of remember realizing when i was on that the beginning of that journey and going through the workshop was that why did i really want to be a mom I really questioned that when because the messages are when you have your own child when you get married. Yeah. So we we're told we're going to have children, exactly. but we're never told we have a choice about it. <laughs> Let alone it, it might not happen. So it's exploring all of that, looking at what grief means for us. We look at the five stages of grief. What does this all mean for us? How does it show up? And a lot of time with the grief, we don't realise we're in it or how deeply we're in it until yeah. somebody's we're talking about it so it really gives the opportunity to in a way open that box unpack the drawer um, and then on the sunday we're looking at then the present and the future so one of the things around the childless journey and the grief is that we can lose our joy we can lose our mojos we can lose our sense of purpose what is the point yeah. of anything anymore and it could also then lead to, you know, in a way, addictive behaviours in terms of you just throw yourself into your work and you become workaholics or, you know, other things can happen. So we really look at that and start to look at the resistance from moving on, because, again, there's going to be blocks around, you know, you're grieving. What's the point? Other people are adding to that. So we mm -hmm. get blocked and then we're not able to think about, well, what can life be like without children or what what next? So we're in a way igniting that joy again, igniting that dream again, that they can start to think about the possibilities of a future life without right. children. And it really, you know, to see women start on the Saturday with the heaviness and yeah. to leave on the Sunday with, with lighter shoulders and a smile, because they're starting to see there is hope, there, there, there are possibilities. It is, and you know, being 
I've gone through it myself being on both sides and being a facilitator of that I mean I think it's an honor to be able to help these women in that mm -hmm. way but it gives me so much joy to watch them open up and start to own their stories and start to see that they can redefine what this all means for them because that's you know for them that is powerful that's empowering yeah. and they can go out and have more control over how people are in a way keeping them there or perceiving them or you know as I said the the, the wonderful gifts we do not want from them they can give that back <laughs> yeah <laughs> returning and be like no thanks wow that sounds amazing that sounds like so much such amazing support it is and they also do a plan b mentorship program it's all online now as well obviously because okay yeah um, so yeah the resources there but the plan b mentorship program again a year-long program and it really does a one one meeting every month really takes them through and you go on a deeper level working through the grief but there's a lot of different things that they will work through on that year program as well and, you know, I did the Plan B Mentorship Program in 2015 and it was amazing, amazing. It really, really took me, I suppose, deep and then high again because yeah. I really started to unpack and, and, and understand a lot of different things around what impacts on my grief as a, in a way. And then yeah. really, it really helped me to shift from that. As I said, it's, it's a redefining it really start to give me a different understanding and meaning about myself it's not just about childlessness there's mm -hmm. a childlessness how I would describe it is the trigger mm -hmm. to a whole heap of other stuff what I what I found is it kind of exposed again that's why I was asking questions well why did I really want to be a mum why am I feeling so sad then I started to go back and I started to realize what was impacting on the now to make this experience as hard as it is. Well said. And I really love the fact that all the support as well is available online now. So people, you know, all over the world, Nigeria, where, wherever else can access that support as happening in the UK. So that's one. Yeah. Thank you. So I know you wrote the book, Dreaming of a Life Unlived, Intimate Stories and Portraits of Women Without Children. What was the inspiration behind that? Oh, anger, frustration. <laughs> oh, well, anger and frustration were my driving force. I remember when, when I was doing the Plan B Mentorship Program, we were doing things like play projects. So I suppose part of working through or, or looking at our Plan Bs, it wasn't a, a place to say, this is what you're gonna, your Plan B is going to look like now. It was a place where we were igniting the dreaming again. Right. So we were trying different things and I remember when I was hearing all the stories and, and all the fixing and and all the experiences of the other women it dawned on me that we weren't being heard and we weren't being listened to mm -hmm. so you know somebody will in a way hear the words I don't have children and instantly go into fix it mode or instantly yeah. or whatever they do as we you know said earlier so I really wanted to to be heard I wanted us to be heard and understood and one of my projects was to find my voice and I was doing different things around that but it was about finding I suppose my plan b in a, in a way became 
finding my voice. And within that remit, I start, as I said, I, I kind of felt like we're not being heard, we're not being listened to. And I wanted to give us our voices back. So I remember sitting there one day going, I'm gonna write a book. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? I don't know how to write a book. <laughs> and before that, anyone that knows me, I never, ever spoke about anything. My dreams, what I wanted, what I was planning, no one would ever know. Because I always felt like if they knew what I was doing or what I was hoping to do or planning to do and it didn't work out, and I can be quite lazy sometimes, I'm a great boy. <laughs> but if it never worked out, then I failed, and I'm using mm-hmm. quotation marks here, but you know, I failed and, and, and people will be disappointed with me and I'd be disappointed with myself. So to save myself that emotional experience, I would never tell anyone anything. So here I'm now, I'm announced <laughs> to this have no idea. I'm not a, I, well, at the time, I'm not a writer. I have, I, well, how's this gonna happen? And I mean, it was literally within seconds. I'm gonna write a book, everyone going, yeah. And then my inner voice went, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, every month, I'm being held account, accountable. Mm-hmm. How's, how's the book going? And I'm like, great. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, <laughs> I'm like, you've gone crazy now. Come on. <laughs> so I, then I remember being in a, I used to go to a women network group in my local area. So I was at a meeting and they split us into groups. So we we're on tables, probably about six women per table. And I remember they used to give us like two minutes to introduce ourselves. And being on that particular meeting, I was the last lady to speak. So we went around the table and every story I'm mother of three, grandmother of five, and Lala, mother, grandmother, Lala, Lala. <laughs> and I remember thinking, it was like, this was their greatest achievement. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, I'm not gonna sit here and say, belittle anybody, I don't, there's no need for that. Yeah. But the experience of it was, when you don't have children, you can't have children, you know, you're, you're infertile or childless, not by choice. You're sitting there thinking, what am I worth? Because exactly. there was such a joy. Oh, you oh my God, you got five grandchildren. Oh my God, you got three. Oh my God, you're wonderful. Yeah. And then you're going, what have I got? I've got nothing to say. I know, I'm going to say that, yeah. Prior to this, I have done a lot in my life. I've traveled, I, you know, I've been successful in my job and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But I felt like I'm worthless. I've done nothing. Oh my God, what am I going to say? And I really... <laughs> I have nothing to say about myself that is worth anything. No one's going to want to hear anything. Um, I, when it came to me, I actually don't remember what I said, but because I knew the ladies who organized the event, yeah. they then did, did this bit where people would come up and talk. So they, they said, Yvonne, come and talk. They <laughs> went at the front and I was like, oh, why, why? <laughs> why are they doing this? <laughs> And so I spoke about my experience on the table and I, and I said, you know, this is what happened. And I felt worthless. I felt like I had nothing to offer. I had not accomplished anything in life because I don't have children, but you know what? I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, why am I doing this? That's <laughs> like, keep your mouth shut. If <laughs> um, but hey, you know, the lady, one of the ladies, Helen Tucker, after the meeting said to me, Yvonne, 
this is an amazing thing. This book is important. Now, Helen's a coach. She coaches women. Mm. And she just said to me, I'm going to coach you to get this book out because it needs to be out. But yeah, it was it was amazing. I realized that if I had kept silent, yeah. this would never have happened. It would none of this would have happened. It, you know, throughout this whole journey, it's been amazing because I refused to keep si- be, be silent. But it wasn't easy. I'm not gonna say I just went, oh, I'm talking and everyone was listening. This wasn't easy. So for that first experience, then Helen coached me to write the book. You know, she was very targeted. How many women have you got? And well, maybe I can wow. get three and maybe this and I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. And she was like, right, this is what you're gonna do. Blam, blam, blam. We even got a writing group together to get the women to, to help them write their stories. I went wow. through with them. I, you know, read, edited, all sorts. You know, we. I was spending every waking moment I had while working full time on my book and supporting the women, encouraging them. I remember when the manuscript was coming together and I was reading these stories and editing and going through, I just realized how much these women trusted me because they trusted me with their stories. It was a huge that was a huge moment for me and they trusted me to share it with the world and also this was the first time they were owning their stories in in that sense of how they'd written it yeah and I had other women who I'd known who were childless because one of the things I realized as well is we have childless friends that we don't talk to we're going through it and we're still not talking to other people <laughs> now but I didn't even know half my friends journeys who were childless so I started talking to them and other women other other women in my friend circle wanted to be a part of the book as well so yeah brought them all together we the book you know I wrote the book and self-published it in 2016 um yeah you know as I said it was conceived out of love and care compassion and understanding it was conceived with my gateway sisters and it was born it, it gave birth to this wonderful life I remember I did a photo shoot, being a photographer as well, I said, I said, this photo shoot when the book came, <laughs> I did a baby announcement. <laughs> Cradling in the book, it was all wrapped up in a blanket, and I was creating a book, and I'm like, That's the cute. Book. <laughs> the, the time of arrival, it was, it was brilliant. But it was great, it was, you know, that's how it all came about. And, and, um, and it, I mean, it, it literally has taken on a life of its own since. But this is, you know, as I said, it was conceived in that group and, and it gave birth to the most amazing experience and the most amazing chapter in my life. Hmm. And it would never have happened if I stayed silent. Yeah. So it reinforces that, you know, the, the importance of speaking out and telling how you felt. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a big, massive importance to owning your story. Again, I say to the people, I know not everyone's going to be like, I, I'm a public speaker and, I'm, and, and an activist. No one's going to do that. And I'm not saying we should all do that. Yeah. Um, but when when I've had women just say to me, I'm childless too, and go, oh my God, I'm 50 or 50, whatever. That's the first time I've ever said it. They are starting to own their stories. Yeah. When women are able to just say to their families, this is what I'm going through and please don't try and fix me or... You know, they can they can tell their stories how they want to tell it, their yeah. own stories. And for them, you know, I see the transformation. I see how empowering that is for them because until then, 
they they were too afraid to speak because someone was gonna fix them or try to fix them yeah and that's not something we usually talk about i mean in general people don't talk about it but i think even in the black community it's probably a little bit more um something we just hush around and just keep quiet and don't speak about it oh you know i remember jd day asking me i think it was in 2018 or 19 she said to me Yvonne, why don't black women come and talk to me about childlessness and i'm like what are you talking about i don't know <laughs> 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 other black women in the community albeit not many i have to say well at the time yeah you know, i just probably knew one other not realizing <laughs> that there was a few of us but i thought well if i'm talking about it i, I really don't get why you asked me this question and then you know, we had a conversation about it. And then I started talking to my friends uh, about, you know, do you talk about stuff to people? And, and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I started trying to research a bit more and it really dawned on me how we're conditioned or how we have been conditioned not to talk. There are a lot of reasons behind this. So I, I started to realize, so for example, for me, my parents being coming across as part of the Windrush generation. So they came in the 60s to England. And the fact that they encountered the things like, you know, no Irish, no Blacks, no dogs, and the racism and all sorts. So mm. essentially, they were bringing us up to be proud and show that, that we were better than who that society thought we were. Because, right. you know, there was a lot of negativity around being black in England in those times, and there still is. Yeah. Um, but when you think about what they were going through and therefore how they were trying to protect us, we had messages like, don't bring shame on the family. Don't talk about your business with anyone. What will mm. the neighbors think? So we're, condition we're being conditioned essentially yeah. not to talk, not to show vulnerability, weakness, all sorts of things. But, you know, so we're not going to go out to this community and start going, well, there's my business. I know. <laughs> this is what my parents do. And, oh, my God, <laughs> to white people, and that's bad. And even, it's not going to happen. It doesn't yeah. happen. But then when I started to go even further back, I start, well, actually, when I was thinking about, well, where has this come from? Because it's generational. Our parents yeah. didn't start saying it. Their parents were saying it. And their parents were saying it. So I started to realize this is deep. This is going, going back. And so take it right back. And I remember talking to a friend, I think she's a, yeah, my counselor friend, started to realize, so talk about slavery. Let's go back to slavery times, Yvonne. Look what was happening there. So when we were enslaved, who was listening to us? Who was allowing us to talk? Who cared about our problems or if we had problems? You know, mm. as, as enslaved people, there was nothing about talking and 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 letting your feelings out and showing because it would you know the weakness and the slave masters weren't gonna who cared we couldn't even yeah. look them in the eye. we we had no voice we didn't matter so what were the messages to the children at those times don't talk don't don't share don't do this don't do that yeah so then when slavery ended and you can argue when that was, because there was a period of time. However, when it ended, we've gone through now as a race, our heritage now is based on trauma. Yeah. So what help and support was there for us to recover and heal from the trauma? None. 
because we were expecting we you know pretty much people there were one day there were people who were enslaved the next day you're free so the ment- but the mentality doesn't change yeah. without you have to break it you have you have to recognize it and go and get help you know i see a lot of people now coming out of different situations and go yeah i'm not broken i'm whole i'm here how can you be if you've not even explored what's happened you know you've ended that relationship for a reason and it's not usually because oh we're happy we just love each other and we didn't want to be together no something happened we've come out of that enslavement and we're expected to just switch and be free and we weren't in our minds and we also never had the support to talk through it and work through it so you know and um dr joy guri and i know i pronounce her surname wrong does some really good talks on post-traumatic slave syndrome Mm. she's an american lady but again you can google her she talks about this experience the deep trauma and i've heard recent talks about this as well from various um avenues but we have a genetic memory about our enslaved times that when you look at the messages we hear now the words might have changed but the messages are the same and they that message is about silence keeping a conditioned silence so yeah. we have this mistrust around white people, and I'm just going to say it in that way, but we have this mistrust, so we're not going to talk. We still have the mistrust. I know a lot of black people who will be like, I ain't talking to them because they won't trust me. I, oh, sorry, I don't trust them. Yeah. And they might not necessarily say, I don't trust them, but they will say they won't understand me. So when we're talking about our experiences of black people, black women in white forums, we are looked at weird or... There's a perception around us because we have the we do get stereotyped yeah and therefore we are not able to be our authentic selves so we are not going to do it because <laughs> the experience <laughs> you see so we, we'd rather talk amongst the rain people if we are going to talk about stuff because once you know that somebody's automatically going to understand your experience then you're going to be more readily able to be there, that, as I said, in the white groups where people are thinking, oh, that sounds silly. Or yeah, it sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember even thinking, you know, oh, yeah, I went to steam my hair on the weekend. What? You had I to know. Wear a kettle. <laughs> so, you, know, <laughs> you know, when you don't want to have to explain yourself, you, yeah. you know, so, you know, it gets tough. It gets tough. And then, um, you know, I mean, I just want to just read this this um, quote because I remember, like, and I've used this in talks I've done before. There's a lady called Mavia Gordon, and she was writing an article for for the Leadership Academy, and she mentioned, and and I really love this because it really hones it in for me. It's, her belief is that Black people have inherited internalized oppression for 400 years of slavery, as we've been taught that white people are better than us. Even though no living white person is responsible for slavery, BAME people still bear the scars of it. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I actually believe if black people have this genetic memory from our own yeah. then white people have it too. You know, it goes yeah. both ways. We, they, you know, we were enslaved. So the messages they had as slave owners, as these slave masters, are passed on too we're not good enough, we're not intelligent, we're too stupid to learn, to read, to da, da, da. You know, I've certainly had experiences at school where 
I, you know, I remember my uh, going to um, a careers advisor and, and then saying, have you ever considered being a shop assistant? Oh. I remember trying to go to do A-levels in, in, in a, a certain school and, oh, you're, you know, basically, no, your report says you're, you're not, you will never pass, you, you're not good enough to do it. You know, given that now, and if it wasn't for my parents or, you know, my dad really pushing in terms of the fact that first generation Brit, um, I'm being first generation British, what he saw, the opportunities he fought to give us, you are going to go to university, young lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a doctor, a lawyer. <laughs> you know, if I didn't have that push and 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 them having that belief, you are going to be better than this. I yeah. have a masters. I have a diploma in management. I had the school telling me I wasn't good enough to do A levels. Can you imagine? Hello. That's so and these, sad. That's just, yeah. You know, no. Who? So we, as I said, the genetic memory, the messages are still there yeah. until we and. You know, I do believe we were, we still insist, we still encounter systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are products of that. We do the microaggressions. There's a lot of things we see, and racism didn't end because somebody said they're not racist. Racism, <laughs> racism didn't end because we stopped talking about it. It will only end when we expose the truth. And to do that, same with my experience around the journey of childlessness, until we can open it look at it be honest about it be uncomfortable because part of this is being uncomfortable mm-hmm. we can't shift and until we shift nothing will change so also, that's, there's, a, lot, there's yeah. a hell of a lot to this also i found church for me <laughs> now i you know i have a very <laughs> fragmented relationship with religion yeah. and you know, I was glad when I was in a charismatic church, I actually glad I didn't grieve my childlessness when I was there, but leaving that environment and grieving childlessness and then hearing people be religious with me was hard enough. But I have seen that church can put on the pressure, you know, or the emphasis it does put on reproduction. You know, there's Mm -hmm. such an importance about getting married and having children and you hear people saying you know god with i heard someone say you know i believe god withheld blessings until i was married until i had kids and oh. i'm like well so i'm not blessed <laughs> you know yeah. and it can be very painful and also yeah. because people will say you know you're not you don't have enough faith um pray yeah. harder or you're not praying hard enough that you we we can be shamed into silence yeah because if i'm gonna receive that message then i'm not gonna tell you or talk about it yeah and then also with the whole notion of it's god's will yeah. i found that that's another silencing thing as well because then it stops people from truly grieving i remember somebody saying to me that she felt that she used to believe it was god's will and so what she did was then when I thought, oh, well, maybe God has other things for me and I could do counselling or whatever. I think she was a coach. So therefore, yeah. is that, you know, that's her nurturing. This is what God has called her to do and blah, blah, blah. But when she, excuse me, when she heard me talk about my journey, she realised she was grieving. Mm. 
but she never had the opportunity to truly grieve. She didn't even have an opportunity to face up to see it because she just took, this isn't God's will for my life and then put it somewhere else. And therefore, as I said, didn't allow herself to be sad because she's allowed to be sad. You know, I think for me, God's will for my life is to be happy and fulfilled. And then that means it can be anything because it's like people saying, I just, I want you to get married because I want you to be happy. Well, why? So therefore being single means I'm not happy. And mm, which is not true because there's probably single people that are happier than yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also it stops me from really making choices that I want to make for my life. Because for example, if I didn't want to get married, all of a sudden I have to, because that's the only way I can be happy or fulfilled you. or be accepted this is what childless, I've seen this play out with the childlessness grief. I had to do it or it should happen because I can't be fulfilled without it. Mm. I can't be happy. I can't be accepted. I won't have a position. I won't be, you know, for example, mothers in the workplace are seen as superwomen. Yeah. Oh my God, you're doing all of that with five children. (laughs) You're amazing. (laughs) Oh, so you're one of those career women then. (laughs) <laughs> oh you have so much time on your hands you can't be tired or you, you know, exactly exactly <laughs> you, you know you have no life come on so <laughs> you know there's so many things so many things that silence us and I think for me culturally you know the messages religion because I found black women and, and I've heard Asian women and tell tell the same stories is that culturally religion plays a big part for us as yeah. well mm-hmm. and therefore we have a twofold avenue for silencing family and the family expectations the religious expectations and it and it is huge it's uh it it, it's it's look i'm lost for words now (laughs) (laughs) the difficult experience and again you know i have had i remember somebody coming back to me saying you know why why do you take your position of authority to put down god and not stand up for him. I'm, like, I'm not putting down God. I'm not saying this to criticize anyone. I'm saying this to expose how much harder it makes the experience. Yeah. Because people don't need to hear things like that. What we need to do is, as I said, be able to talk about it, own it, be vulnerable with, with it, be uncomfortable with it. So we can decide what we want to do next. And we can't do that in silence. No. I mean, look at how much you've accomplished just by speaking out. Mm. You know, but it, like you rightly said, there needs to be more awareness a lot in the churches. Just people need to understand. I think there needs to be, exactly, there needs to be an allowance of the conversations. There really yeah. does. Um, because otherwise, people won't heal. Yeah. The, the true meaning as far as I'm concerned anyway in the true meaning of healing and that yeah. does mean we have to look at everything they have you know people have to be able to see talk experience it all within that on that journey yeah because people are really dealing with so much already right and then you start adding yes. it's not God's will of God or you've been yeah. punished or you've done something or you're not praying yes. hard enough or stuff like that and it's like well that's not really fair right because then you're putting the blame on the person that additional blame like they're not worthy or something of blessings from god absolutely this is so true it's so true i mean it's hard enough as as we've already said to to 
experience that grief anyway, but then you're getting these other layers of it, which is difficult. What I've also realized, the more I talk about it, the more other women talk to me about it. Oh, okay. Because I'm just one person, you know, I don't, I certainly, I'm not an oracle of all truth. Mm -hmm. Some people think I'm... <laughs> <laughs> And all sorts, you know, and I, yes, I'm very opinionated, but I'm just giving my opinion based on blah, blah, blah. You know, this yeah. is where I am. So what I've learned, this is my cultural background, for example, this is my journey. So, you know, I have formed opinions based on that. But when I hear other women's stories, it, it enriches my experience and it yeah. enriches my knowledge. Because, as I said, being one person in a, let's say, I don't like living in boxes, but let's just use this analogy. If I'm living in this box and it's, that's big or small, mm -hmm. this is all I would know. When I take myself into somebody else's box, I, and that, that's all they know, but we start to know more because we've shared. Yeah. So even in terms of knowing about gateway women, I wouldn't have known that if I stayed silent. So, you know, yeah. so, you know, asking for help, saying, and essentially when people are telling their stories or sharing their experiences, there's a, probably a, they're, they're probably also saying, I need something. Yeah. This is for us to ask. If we ask, what do you need in this moment? What do you want? How can I help you? This probably is going to be so useful for that person. But as I said, I've, I've been so more enriched and my world has been expanded to an extent that I would never have imagined. I couldn't have done it on my own and I would never have imagined it would have happened, but it's expanded so much more because I have these amazing conversations. And because we take away, like I don't like parameters or concepts of right and wrong. So because if we can strip away, this is right and this is wrong. And we just say, this is what it is and allow what it is. Then yeah. we, I have found that I've had so much more enriched conversations from that and therefore as I said my world has just expanded sometimes my mind is blown by kind of what I experience now yeah. but it it just is so much more enriching because there's no labels there's no concepts there's no constructs it's just yeah. this is what it is and let's just talk about the experiences around it that's amazing and if there's anyone out there listening and you know has been inspired by as I have as you know with everything you shared today uh, and they wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? So people can connect via my blog, Finding My Plan B, mm -hmm. um, and also on Facebook under Dreaming of a Life Unlived. Okay. Wonderful. And uh, any word of affirmation that you found useful during this whole journey? So, I mean, I heard many things on my journey. Um, grief is the gift of love was a very powerful one. Yeah. because it made me realize that that my grief meant that I did love grief is born from love mm -hmm. you can't grieve if you didn't love so the grief of childlessness the loss of, the grief of my loss of motherhood meant that I really loved my unborn children because when yeah. I said I wanted the best for them that really helped me and I love quotes love 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 quotes and I've collected <laughs> loads over you know as I go along but I think <laughs> The ones I want to share today, Maya Angelou, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Oh, I love that, yeah. Oh, I hold that one dear to my heart. Yeah. It, I think knowing, as I said, owning your story and being able to talk about it, when you're silenced, it kills you. It's, yeah. It kills you. It's 
breaks you to to hold it inside and and not be able to talk and share so we need to let people be able to do that as well and once we do it oh it's it's so empowering it's it's amazing uh, michelle obama i heard this one not too long ago if there's one thing in life it's the power of using the voice the story is what we have and will always have it's something for us to own love it and i've got brene brown Oh, I love her too. Oh, <laughs> like she has so many. So lovely, many, yeah. So many. Um, my two from her. Vulnerability makes you beautiful and is the birthplace of joy, belonging and creativity. Awesome. And when we deny the story, it defines us. When we own the story, we can write a brave new ending. Wow love them yeah love all four of them <laughs> from amazing women beautiful and as a wrap-up do you have any words of encouragement for anyone out there that's listening to you who, who's at that point where they've decided or they've come to that point where they will be moving ahead um with a childless life so what i would say i mean as we've already I've said throughout this interview, you know, being child is not my child is such a difficult journey. Mm -hmm. And it's something you can't do on your own. So I would encourage anyone in that situation to be around others in the same journey. I think sometimes, I think one of the things you'd ask is how do people know it's for them? Sometimes people don't. So as I said, go to the Gateway community and read the testimonies, read Jody, what Jody has to say. She's, there's loads of blogs on there, a lot of resources there in itself. Mm -hmm. So just, go through that and see how you feel and where you sit with it because it will speak to you some people are not ready as i've already said some people are open to maybe understanding where they're at now so first step just go to their website and have a look and if if you find if it speaks to you to the extent that you think actually yes i'm there and i want to work through my grief work with yeah. the grief understand the grief then join the community because being I said being in your tribe, finding your tribe, being amongst women who know, understand, being there can help, can support, can love, can understand is invaluable. You know, it really is invaluable. And for me, you know, only my story allowed me to write a brand new ending, a brave new ending, mm. and it helped me to find peace in my grief and to ignite the hope that I could have a fulfilling life without children. And again, you know, I think that is the most amazing gift you can give yourself. So get around and get that support. I mean, even having, some people might not find a community, the community that appealing because again, different personality types, different characteristics, everyone will, will air towards something that suits them best. So even finding a counsellor and, and someone who knows about grief. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.